0: This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we have reached week 18, which means there is just one weekend remaining in the regular season. Ilya Geich of the Colorado Mammoth will stop by ahead of his team's huge game against the Rush Friday night. Speaking of the Rush, Derek Keenan now has 122 career NLL coaching victories. There's still plenty to be decided, plus an all-new NLL.com. All that and more on OTCB. What's going on, highway the Cross fans? And welcome to, to another edition of the off, off the of Crossbar, off crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter I'm at on the Off the Crossbar, man. or you can drop me an email, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. <laughs> As mentioned in the opening, Ilya Geich of the Colorado Mammoth will stop by. Uh, They had an unfortunate weekend in Vancouver. Losing their third game of the season to the Stealth and making this weekend all that much more important for them and for the Stealth. So we'll talk to Ilya in a few minutes. The Buffalo Bandits and the Calgary Roughnecks were officially eliminated as we have our first two eliminations of the 2017 season. Only one more to go as Vancouver, Colorado, Saskatchewan are in. And now we must find out who will rep the East. And with Buffalo out, it all comes down to New England, Toronto, and Rochester. With New England and Toronto having... lead they are both up a game and a half on rochester and both would have to have a monumental collapse this weekend for the nighthawks to get in stranger things have happened but the way it looks that is that it'll be georgia number one new england and toronto will flip flop for two and three somehow and then colorado and vancouver will play each other in the first round we do know that in the west As the rush will wait for them. We just don't know where that Western semifinal will be played. And that's how important that win for the Vancouver Stealth was over the weekend. And you have to give the Vancouver Stealth a lot of credit. They got punched in the mouth early in that game. As the Mammoth scored two quick goals. And were up 3-1 at one point. And then they just were able to kind of weather the storm. And as they weathered that storm, they started to get momentum. They started to get the crowd into the game. They started to get their feet moving. And they started finding themselves alleyways, open floor space, and angles to put the ball past Dylan Ward. And full credit... To Ty Belanger. And I must admit that. While there was all the hype surrounding Ty Belanger. As he kind of slowly emerged this year. As the number one guy for the Vancouver Stealth. I still wasn't truly sold. He's growing on me. I'll give him that. I'm still not completely sold. Because he still has some bad games. And I guess every goaltender has bad games. But this is now two games in a row that he has stymied the Colorado Mammoth. And it has really helped this group get themselves into a position where they can legitimately host a playoff game. And if you would have gone back to the early parts of this year and watched how this team played, saw what they were doing with their lineup and the injuries that they were having, You wouldn't have thought that there would have been a chance that they would be able to host a playoff game. But they are on the verge of hosting their first ever playoff game in Vancouver since moving from Everett. Now, they do need a little bit of help. They need the Saskatchewan Rush, who have clinched first in the West and are still trying to clinch first overall. They need the Rush to beat the mammoth saturday sorry friday night in denver and then if that happens the stealth will have to do their own work and knock off the black wolves saturday night in new england and if they are were would be able to win that game then the vancouver stealth would host the colorado mammoth in game 1 of the one game west semifinal Which is crazy. Because a few weeks ago, I didn't think it would be able to happen. But that's just the way the dominoes fall in professional lacrosse. And they're playing. They're probably playing their best ball that they have played in quite some time. They are getting offensive support. Their defense is playing better. They're playing a very collapsed style of defense. Uh, Which allows for outside shots, but it also allows a lot of sticks to be in lanes. And they were knocking down a lot of shots. Vancouver was giving up those outside shots and forcing the Mammoth to try and beat them inside, which they were having troubles doing. Um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I think they had over 30 shots off target. I'm just going to try and pull up the game sheet as we talk about it. And that was one of the things that um, the Mammoth staff weren't very happy with is the number of shots off net that they took or that they had. And just looking at the game sheet, um, they had 36 shots off target. You know how many Vancouver had? Eight. That's a huge discrepancy. A lot of those shots were knocked down, um, deflected by sticks, never even got on target. But that's a bad shooting percentage. Out of the 95 shots they took, 36 of them didn't even come close to Ty Belanger. And I'm not saying it would have been the difference in the game, but it was a big part of it. But mostly... You know, the Vancouver defense, like I kind of said, they got punched in the mouth early when Greg Downing scored a minute 54 in. Chris Wardle scored with an extra tacker 434 in. And then Corey Small got them on the board two and a half minutes later. Callum Crawford put them up 3-1. And then from that point on, they outscored them 12-4 to over the rest of the game. And that's not something you'd really expect from a Colorado team, especially this late in the season. But they just didn't have it. And because of it, the Mammoth are in a sort of must-win game against the Rush Friday night at home. Because if they lose that game from what at one point seemed like a lock to host a home playoff game, Now they're going to have to hope the New England Black Wolves defeat the Stealth. Again, if they lose. You never want to hope another team helps you clinch that home playoff game. You always want to do it on your own. And so the Mammoth have to quickly regroup. They'll head home, take on the Rush. And one of the players that will be in that game will be a veteran of this Colorado franchise, a guy who has been with the team for almost his entire career. Uh, he spent two years with Vancouver, but was originally drafted by Rochester, ends up being traded to Colorado in 2010, and was with him up until the 2014 season where he was picked up by Vancouver for two years, and he's been back in Colorado since 2016, and it's his second home as he spent some time with at Denver University. And he is now a sort of transplanted Denverite. And his name is Ilya Geit. He joined me earlier today when I caught up with him after flying back from Vancouver to Denver. And the first thing I asked him is, how often does he get back home? Because as a transplant, it's not that easy.
1: Not a lot. That's why
2: uh, when we went back to play band, I was able to spend a couple extra days to see
1: my niece and, you know, my godson, and it was good. You guys obviously have a pretty strong family bond. It's always uh, great to see, see the nieces and nephews. I, I know that's one of the big reasons I like going back to Vancouver is to see family. Um, you grew up with three other brothers. What was that like for you? Uh, was it hard? Was it easy? Was it a challenge? Well,
2: obviously growing up with... Uh, a lot of siblings is a lot of fun. It was uh, maybe more hard for our parents, that's for sure. <laughs> They're all crazy, and, but um, you know they brought us they brought us up right. We they got us into all the sports we wanted to play. You know, to keep us out of trouble, and uh, and uh, it was good. They got us uh, pretty far in our careers. You know, got us to get to, down to school in the states. So. Um, it's good that we always have like competition and kids, siblings. You know what I mean. They push each other. So I feel like that contribute to our uh, athletic
1: success. With the mammoth, you guys were in Vancouver last weekend. Obviously, not the result you wanted. What do you think changed from you know the opening five minutes where you guys potted a couple throughout the re- then throughout the rest of the game, where Vancouver seemed to to gain momentum and never give it back. I don't know. You know what I mean?
2: Like the cross is a game of swings, and uh, um, you know, well, you know how tight this this league is, and anyone can win on any given night. And uh, Vancouver was, you know, they're playing, they're playing on their, you know, they're fighting for a playoff spot. You know, obviously, I'm not saying that it was in the back of our mind that we were in playoffs already, but um, you know, just the league is so close like that that a little bit. Shifted a little bit that way at the end of the first period, and it just we just couldn't turn it around.
1: Is that an issue that you see with this team that they weren't able to to kind of fight back and claw the way back in, especially in a, in a playoff type atmosphere?
2: No, I don't think it's an issue. Like there's been games where we've came back, you know, we've, we've won, and uh or you know we've got ourselves into some bad positions. But uh I feel like it happens with everything. It's a it's it's a just a learning curve. You know what I mean? Uh, especially being in this league a long time, you know, and um, y- y- you realize that no matter who you are, it doesn't matter what team, uh, who you are, uh, anybody can win. And, and there's been games where uh, you just can't believe what, what's going on out there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like We went we went and played Georgia. we game up in the beginning of the year and then we went into Georgia this year and they smashed us. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you can't really uh, plan for sort anything of across. it just like that. So we just got to, go and look back at the films, see what happens, see what we could do better and um I think a lot of guys were just you know, sometimes you just grip your stick too tight or something. A lot of guys yeah. were uh we just weren't playing good. you know. Obviously we didn't shoot well, missed the net thirty eight times I think it was like you we are obviously defensively we we're not doing the things that we were supposed to do because the uh, certain guys are scoring,
1: right? And there's the yeah. guys that we're talking about. And uh so we just had a bad game. So a short memory going into the game against Saskatchewan this weekend. Uh, obviously it's a good thing to be at home in front of the, the mammoth crowd, but how big is this game for you guys to make sure you have the momentum going into the finals and into the uh, postseason? Yeah, exactly. And Obviously, we hope to be uh,
2: battling those Saskatchewan in the in the playoffs, so it's not only to get home playoff games, you know what I mean? First some playoff game, it's to set the tempo for the playoffs that we're going to be seeing those guys. You don't want to go in there and you know, you don't want to go in there and lose, and then you're going to see those guys are going to have that mental uh, advantage over you. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. especially if we won the last game against Saskatchewan, so if we win again, I just think uh, I think it puts us in a good, like puts our head in a good place to uh,
1: go and battle those guys in playoffs if it comes to that. How important is having home floor in the postseason? Because especially in that first round, with it just being a one game, you you want to play that first round at home again, Denver, don't you? Oh yeah, of course.
2: You never want to travel. You know what I mean? If you have a choice of like staying at home or you know, you gotta be at home in front of your fans, especially the Pepsi Center, you've got the best fans in the league. So, um, having them on your side is huge, obviously. So we wanna get it. Obviously you don't wanna be like you wanna to put too much pressure on you to get it, but like you just wanna well, of course you wanna have home court advantage, yeah.
1: Yeah. What is, what does the city of Denver mean for you? Because you spent some time there. Uh, in your college days, and now you're back there playing full lacrosse, and you kind of made it a second home. What does the city of Denver mean to you, and why is it so special for you to be able to play there? Well, just like you said,
2: I spent a lot of time here, but it's, it's, it's going on my 12th year now that I've been down here in Denver. You know what I mean? I go back home, and people are... When I'm back home in Vancouver, people are asking me, hey, you know, when are you going to move back? They're yeah. pretty much like, this is my home. You know, I live here. I have a home here. You know what I mean? I love Denver so much. And I could see myself spending the rest of my life here. But I don't know if that's going to happen. But <laughs> uh, I, I consider it my home. So, yeah. you know, just how you you how people would be proud of where
1: they live. Uh,
2: I'm proud of where I'm from, Vancouver, and, and where I live now.
1: Uh, I found it kind of interesting to find out that Joel Radner, the, the MAMA trainer, was, was your trainer at, at DU when you were there. Um, that's kind of an interesting relationship to have and, and know a guy that long and through a couple of different sporting seasons.
2: Oh, yeah. It's huge. You know what I mean? He's, a, he's the best in the business as well. So, you know what I mean? To have a guy from when you're in, you know, playing the Division I lacrosse, growing going up, and immediately he's, he becomes your trainer. Yeah. For the pro league, it's it's huge to have, especially with me. For the last ten years, I've had significant uh, problems with my body, and and so having like a an elite professional exfoliator there to, you know, pretty much mend me and keep me going is probably the reason why I'm still playing.
1: How is your body holding up these days? you've been through through a lot, and and you're not the youngest guy in the league anymore, but you're obviously not the oldest. But how's the body <laughs> holding up um, as you know you go uh, year to year? Yeah, well obviously, you know, when
2: you're young you don't really feel it. You know, yeah. I got some of these guys there; they're just going out there back the today, the you know, doing their thing and then they're having fun and then they're just rebounding and feeling okay and I can see it. I'm I am not that way anymore.
1: That's for sure. I'm getting old I'm an old man now. Um I didn't know this and, and I found out from you a few weeks ago. Um, how did you get to New York to play junior hockey?
2: Um well, my family was—you know—we're we more of like a hockey family growing up. Uh, and my older brothers went to school for uh, for um, hockey for the University of um, Michigan and Michigan State, right. and uh, so they're pretty pretty good hockey players. My older brothers and uh, um, we grew up in a hockey family, so at that point I was in playing junior A hockey, and uh, there was an opportunity to play junior A on the East Coast, and so couple of players that are, some are still playing, like Brian Stewart, he's still playing pro hockey in Europe, he's a goalie, and some of my buddies were, got phone calls, got recruited, and um, mm-hmm. uh, you probably remember some of these names, but like Ken Danico, Bruce Driver, our coaches, yeah. they were going and recruiting uh, players from the BCHL, so they found us and asked us if we wanted to come down there and try out, so four or five of us Canadians went down there and played, it was, it was awesome, it was a great experience, so. Yeah, 18, 19 years old, living in New York City is pretty, was pretty nuts.
1: So yeah, I was going to cool. say, being that age in a big city, that would have been a bit of a shock um, at such a young age to experience that kind of life.
2: Yeah, it was really cool. It was really cool. I'm lucky to uh, have been able to experience that. Uh,
1: being around the Mammoth this year, uh, I've noticed you're kind of a <laughs> bit of a joker. You're not much of a practice. We like to have fun. Is it important to, to kind of keep the locker room light at times, especially – through a season that lasts so long oh yeah
2: I think it's super important you know what I mean uh well that's why we play. you know what I mean yeah. like I'm there uh, like I'm I, I, I like to think of myself as a you winner. Know, I want to win you know what I mean I care about winning but you can't be serious all the time that's what's the point I just you know what I mean you, we I love the game and I love I, like being around our teammates and having fun you know what I mean and I think that's uh that's one one great thing about our job is that everybody just, just loves being around the guys and 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 I don't know, it's just it's fun to joke around and and they keep uh keep the trust in light lighthearted. Really light
1: Billy, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you, man. Uh big game Friday night against Saskatchewan. What's the message from Paddy Coyle uh going into probably the biggest game of the year for you guys?
2: Well, Patty, you know he always he's 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 all about the t- he's a big team guy coach. You know what I mean? And in the dressing room, he pretty much told us like we can die as individuals or we can come together as a team. You know what I mean? And uh, and and I think all the boys realize is that you know we got a lot of skill on this team and um, but we're not going to win anything trying to do everything on our own. You know what I mean? We have got to work together and stick to the game plan and that's what made us successful and that's what's going to make us successful going forward.
0: There he is. Ilya Geich of the Colorado Mammoth and uh, talking about individuals and working as a team and, and either die alone or win together. And that is the mentality for the Colorado Mammoth going into a huge game at home against the Saskatchewan Rush. The good thing is they match up against the Rush quite well. They've played them three times. They beat them twice, lost to them two other times by a goal. And it should be a really good lacrosse game. And being at home in front of a raucous mammoth crowd should help inspire them to put on a good display on home floor and hopefully go into the playoffs on a bit of a high note. Because they know who they're going to be playing in the first round a team for some reason that they don't particularly match up very well against in the Vancouver Stealth. But first and foremost is that game Friday night against Saskatchewan. And for the rush, they're in the hunt to try and get first overall. Now, their road to the first overall seed isn't that easy because they're going to need some help from Georgia, so if they want to get the number one seed, they need um, two wins this weekend and two Georgia losses, and that's because Georgia won their season series in series one nothing. So they're gonna they can't afford a tie with the Swarm. They have to completely hold the number one seed, and they're in Colorado Friday. They go to Calgary right after for a game Saturday, and for the Swarm. Uh, they have just two games left as well. And they can clinch the number one overall seed with one win this weekend or it's a Saskatchewan loss at either Colorado or Calgary. So that's still up in the air. And for the Rush, who came off uh, their win over Toronto at home, it wasn't an easy game for them either. Because the the Rock were coming in and and the Rock wanted to move up the standings. And it looked like early on in that game, Rochester was going to give them fits. Sorry, Toronto was going to give them fits. But it was a big third quarter where the rush outscored Toronto 5-0. Which really helped spread that game out as they end up winning 15-10. Two stories come out of that game. Uh, One was the interesting note that Tyler Carlson got the start in net for the rush, uh, giving Aaron Bold the night off on his birthday. Uh, Reports out of the rush camp were that Bold was fighting a bit of a flu or a cold Friday night and had another little lingering injury that Uh, Made the decision a little easier to start the Cadillac, Tyler Carlson. It's not true, as some people were trying to start the rumor mill, that they sat Aaron Bold because of his decision to shoot for that empty net two weeks ago that cost him the game against New England. But head coach and GM Derek Keenan said, nope, they wanted to get Carlson some minutes. He hadn't played since early January. Uh, the first game of the year, essentially. He hadn't played a minute since, so they wanted to get him back in, uh, let him see the ball because you never know what's going to happen in the playoffs. So Carlson came in, uh, played a pretty solid game in between the pipes for the Saskatchewan Rush. Started off a bit slow as, as Saskatchewan was down 4-3, but ends up making 40 saves on 50 shots. Uh, and looked quite impressive in that matchup. Now the other story that came out of that game, was that head coach GM Derek Keenan finally got win one twenty two and surpassed Darius Kilgore as the all time winningest coach in National Lacrosse League history? So kudos to Jammer, and he got uh, he w- got caught up with the media after the game just to talk about that milestone and the fact that it was Father's Son night in Saskatchewan. Most importantly is we clinched first place. you know, It's a nice milestone in that, but
1: I was just saying to one of the guys, you know, without this group, you know, we've won a lot of games the last four or five years, and uh, certainly the credit goes to the players and my assistant coaches and the organization as a whole because you, know, you don't get to this milestone without having other people around and you know, got a whole bunch of them.
0: Is it? Extra special to be able to do it with your son on the team. At yeah, the same time? Uh, and it was
1: you know oh, dad's weekend, and you know it was kind of weird that I had to go out before <laughs> before the game, and it was kind of strange, quirky things this weekend that we kind of worked through. But that's just the yeah, way anyway. So no, yeah, it was. Yeah, did he me. ask you to do that, or did you, or where'd that come? Oh, no, I was kind of told I had to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I was okay with it. It was fun. It was good. Great little story coming out of Saskatoon being win one twenty two for Coach Keenan, but it was a father's trip in Saskatoon where uh, a bunch of the players had their dads in town. They took a big team photo, um, and obviously with Ryan Keenan, Derek's son being on the team and playing, when they announced all the players with their fathers, they all came out, and there was Coach Keenan walking out with Ryan. So, a cool little thing. Um, Those are always great little... Things to do for the players and for the dads. Sometimes teams do it with the moms. Um, just, you know, to create that family atmosphere. And create a bond that's a little bit tighter. So nice job by Bruce Urban. And just kind of along those lines, you can kind of notice the teams that are doing quite well and the teams that are successful are the teams that really have that family atmosphere. And I've been around a lot of teams um in my day because i'm you know i'm so old and and i've seen teams that that have that family bond but i've also seen teams that have the big disconnect and that disconnect can be huge because when it's just a bunch of you know individuals and guys flying in and guys just kind of going weekend to weekend there's not much there there's not a chemistry there's not a camaraderie there's not a bond but on the other hand, when teams are like incredibly tight and, and guys are going out and they're doing things away from the rink together and and they're you know connecting on more than just a game level, it it brings such an incredible dynamic to an organization and that makes the play and, and their ability to be a team that much stronger. And going into the playoffs this late in the year, you need that togetherness. You need that bond. You need that family to support you. Especially, you know, you have a couple bad shifts. You need guys on your team to be able to pick you up and rally around you and support you. And it's really what helps breed championship teams is that familyness and that togetherness. And a lot of teams have it. Some teams don't. And when teams don't have it, you really can tell. So a nice job by Bruce Urban and, and the organization of the Rush for, for bringing them in. They also had Jay Onright and Dan O'Toole there. I never really re- figured that one out. But again, little things like that just create different atmospheres at arenas. And that's always kind of been Bruce Urban's M.O. Even when he first bought the team in Edmonton, you know, he brought in Chris Benoit. He brought in Dennis Rodman. uh, He had the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders, Brooke Burke, Manhunter. Like, he was always bringing in these weird people. They're not weird people, but these odd connections. But it just kind of helps create a different atmosphere. And and Bruce Urban has always done things his own way. And, you know, for the first decade of the Rush organization, maybe not have been his fault for their failures. But it's kind of starting to work. And it's interesting to see the dynamic of, you know, some of the things that he does compared to what other owners and, and, and franchises do. Some do absolutely nothing. And the other end of the spectrum is Bruce, where he tries to do everything to make um, his team a spectacle, but in a good way. And the rush will be the number one seed in the West again. And they still have a chance to hold that number one seed overall if they can get some help from some of the teams out East. Um, The other games that went down this weekend, uh, Rochester kept their playoff hopes alive with a, 13, sorry, a 15-13 win over the New England Black Wolves, uh, which was huge. Again, their chances of getting in the playoffs are quite slim. But it, it is possible for them to be able to get into the playoffs. They need uh, New England and Toronto to lose a lot of games, and they're going to have to win. And it's not impossible um, they need two wins versus Georgia and a New England loss Saturday. But they're eliminated with one loss or a New England win. They can advance with a tiebreaker with New England at 8-10. and 10. However, it's going to be tough for them to get there. And the schedule makers didn't do them any favors by having to play Georgia back-to-back on the final weekend. But sometimes when you face adversity... Strange things can happen, and teams can come together and surprise you and flip things upside down. You know, the Vancouver Stealth have surprised me this year. I didn't think that they would be able to turn this ship around, but Jamie Batley has done a fantastic job in turning things around. Can the Rochester Nighthawks do it? I don't think so, but it's possible. It's possible. The final game on the weekend, uh, the one we haven't talked about yet, uh, the Georgia Swarm putting up 20-20 on the Buffalo Bandits. Um, That's the third time this year they have reached the 20-goal plateau. Uh, They just controlled that game from the outset. And it wasn't the way they wanted to go out. You know, they needed to keep winning to have any chance of making the playoffs. Uh, They didn't have any tiebreakers over the team that they were trying to chase. So they really needed that game. And they needed their best effort. And unfortunately, they just didn't get it. And the Georgia Swarm just decided to pile on. And to the tune of 20 goals. In the process... I think Lyle Thompson may have secured himself an MVP. I'm not going to guarantee it. I'm not going to say that that's a done deal. But he's pretty close. And he currently leads Mark Matthews by a point. Corey Small by four points. Curtis Dixon by six. Both Thompson and Matthews have two games to play. And it's going to be interesting to see how that year-end vote goes. Because I think those are your two frontrunners. Matthews and Thompson. Thompson has just been lights out all year. Hit Hit a bit of a slump in sort of that second quarter of the season. But he started to find his game again. And he just continues to be super impressive and super steady for the Georgia Swarm. I think he'll garner a lot of votes. Mark Matthews, he is a natural talent, size, athleticism, skill, one of the quickest releases I have ever seen, ever. And, you know, we played those two games with Pink Eye, It's a great story, and he's constantly been a top five player in the NLL since coming into the league. And he will definitely get some first-place votes in the MVP category. But I just think what Lyle Thompson has done since coming into the NLL and helped turning this Georgia-swarm organization around has just been remarkable. So I think he is your MVP. Still do have one weekend left, of course, and they could definitely blow everybody out of the water, you know, having two games left. But it's just so impressive to see the things that Lyle continues to do. But more impressive is the types of numbers that the Swarm continue to put up week in and week out offensively. Lyle, sorry, let's start from the top. Miles had five points, four and one. Lyle had 10, two and eight. Jordan Hall had four, two, and two. Shane Jackson had six at two and four. Matisse had seven at three and four. Stotts had seven at four and three. And Palace had four at two and two. Every single guy on their offensive side of the ball is putting the ball in the net, is contributing offensively. And it's something that we've said time and time again on the show when we reference the stealth. And it comes back to that family Discussion that we talked about. They don't care who scores. They will always option for that extra pass. Just so they can let the other guy score. And that's what makes them so special. The ability to be so selfless to want to make that extra pass. And allow your teammate to score. And oftentimes that can hurt a team. You know, you'll see a team play and they're, you know, they're forcing the extra pass when they have clean wide open shots, and that extra pass often ends in a turnover or a force shot or a bad angle. The way the swarm play is that extra pass is generally a guy wide open on the backside. And his percentage of scoring is like an extra 15% from the guy who had the ball. And it's just so fun to watch that lacrosse team. And they get the Rochester Nighthawks twice this weekend, once at home, once away. So hopefully they'll have a huge turnout to end the year inside the arena in Duluth. Not Duluth. What am I thinking? Gwinnett Duluth. Actually, I think they are in Duluth, aren't they? I think so. But the arena in Gwinnett, and, you know, that will be their last home game at the Infinite Energy Center on April 29th. And, you know, I'm interested to see how well this team and that organization can market the number one team in the National Lacrosse League to get them home fans. Because they're gonna have a West semifinal. Or sorry, let's try that again. They're gonna have an East Final home game, a possible mini game, and possibly two more games in the final. That is, if they hold on to the number one seed, which I believe they will. So that's three home games to be played in Georgia. And they need to put bodies in those seats because all eyes are going to be on the playoffs. Perspective owners, perspective sponsors, perspective, um digital rights people. Like all these people that the commissioner is wanting to bring into the league, part of our league family, are going to be watching the playoffs. And if they tune on a game and they say... Welcome to the Infinite Energy Center where the number one seed Georgia Swarm take on whoever and the camera pounds pans around the arena and there's 2,000 people there. It doesn't look good. So having the number one seed overall will give them an extra week to market, prepare, get the word out. Get as many tickets out there as possible and get as many people inside the doors as they can. Because it truly is a shame that that team can't get more people out to watch them. It is. Uh, The games this weekend, there are a slew of them. They all start Friday night, April 28th. Georgia at Rochester. Saskatchewan at Colorado. Those are your two on Friday. Then on Saturday, Vancouver at New England, Rochester at Georgia, Toronto at Buffalo, and the Rush at the Roughnecks. So we have a full slate of games. So that's kind of wrapping up last week, getting you caught up and set for this week. Um, Again, uh, a whole slew of games, and there are some truly important ones. Um, Obviously, with the Roughnecks and the Bandits being out, their games um, mean a little less. But for the two teams that they're playing, uh, the Rush and the Rock, they still have plenty to play for. Um, Of course, if the Rush lose on Friday night, then that game Saturday doesn't mean really anything uh, to either team. But for the Rock and the Bandits, well, for the Rock at least, um, they want that number two seed. They don't want to have to travel to New England, uh, so they're going to be giving it everything they have Saturday, as will the Black Wolves, who will want to knock off the Stealth. The Stealth are going to want to knock off the Black Wolves in hopes that they can host their first ever playoff game. So, uh, Some very interesting lacrosse games on this weekend, Um, so I definitely think you should check out as many as you can, of course, all games on nll TV. And for a full listing of all the games, plus stats, information, news, notes, and more, uh, go check out the newly designed NLL.com. If you haven't been, it looks a lot different. And I mean it. Um, A huge splashboard right across the top. Different layout. Um, You know, stats are a little more easier to maneuver through. I like it. It'll be interesting to see how they can keep up sort of the the fresh look of that first page uh, with, you know, different graphics and, you know, moving graphics across that top. But I kind of like it. It it is a flashy new front. Um, It's easy to work around. uh, Colorful, bright, lots of pictures. Um, So kudos to everybody with the soft launch of NLL.com today. Uh, Go check it out. You know, it'll take a little while to kind of figure out the little nuances, you know, how to get from first year or year to year and then checking out the stats pages and, you know, tabulating most least kind of thing. But I like it. Um, we've been kind of waiting for this for quite some time. The commissioner has been kind of teasing it that we were going to see, be seeing a new website. Um, and here it is. So there's a new NLL.com. And... When you go to the new NLL.com, you go to the Stats page. In Experience, you click on Rookie. You make sure it says 2017. You click Apply. Then you go to the Points tab. Click ta- uh, Points. And there you go. Tom Schreiber continues to lead the way. Runner, running away with the Rookie of the Year vote and closing in on Randy Stats's point total from last year He is one assist shy of tying Stats' 89 assists for a rookie in one year. So with two assists, he will leapfrog Randy Stats from last year. And with six points, I got to do my math really quick. Sorry, eight points. A little slow today. Uh, With eight points, he will take over the rookie point totals for one year. Randy Stats had 95 last year. Schreiber currently at 88. So six points will give him 96. And it's kind of doable. The Rock take on Buffalo in Buffalo. Schreiber has had some su- success against the, against the Bandits. But knowing Troy Cordingly, knowing the Bandits. They don't want to see a player get a, a record record. On their watch, they're going to try and shut Schreiber down. But that's easier said than done. Much like we were saying that about Dane Smith last year as he was running away to 137 points. While Schreiber is well off that total. He just continues to put up impressive numbers week in and week out. And he he has done it without taking a single... Penalty. Seventeen games, thirty goals, fifty-eight assists, zero penalty minutes. Could he get sportsmanship award as well as rookie of the year? Quite possible. Quite possible. Kyle Jackson sits in second in rookie rookie scoring at fifty-five points. Josh Courier, Ryan Keenan, Jacob Rue, Dan Lomas. And Kieran McCardo kind of pulling up the rear, but that just goes to show there's a thirty-three point difference between Schreiber and Kyle Jackson. That's how good Tom Schreiber has been. Early on in the year, people were wondering maybe he could get some MVP votes. He still could get maybe one or two. Probably not, but it would be a great story to see the reigning NLL or sorry the reigning MLL MVP take home the NLL MVP in his first-ever year indoors. Again, don't think it'll happen, but would have been a pretty cool story. But he's definitely going home with the Rookie of the Year and could take home the Sportsmanship Award as well. And voting for all of those awards will kind of slowly start to happen amongst all the media members as it is a regular season voting, not a cumulative all-year thing. So us quote-unquote experts will have to get our picks in fairly soon. And there's going to be some interesting votes, I think, this year. When you go around the league and you look at some of the categories for these awards and what we have to choose from, there's going to be some really, really tough decisions. You know, even the MVP award is a tough decision. And, you know, I asked a group of people the other night uh, when I was in Vancouver, and I said, okay, you know what? If you had to make a pick for MVP right now and you couldn't pick a guy on your own team, who would it be? And there wasn't really anybody who could give me a straight answer because it's been so close. But let's go down the list. General Manager of the Year, who is it? Coach of the Year, probably Eddie Como. Unsung Hero, good question. Rookie of the Year, Tom Schreiber. Transition Player of the Year, good question. Offensive Player of the Year, it's either going to be Matthews or Lyle Thompson, whoever wins the scoring race in my opinion. Defensive Player of the Year, good question. Goalie of the year. Had Dylan Ward not slipped the past, you know, two or four weekends, he was probably the front runner. But the way Ty Belanger has played over the last month and a half, he's kind of put his name in that category. And then MVP, of course, we've talked about it enough on the show. It's between Lyle, Thompson, and Mark Matthews. Now, in saying the play of Ty Belanger has helped catapult this Vancouver stealth team into the playoff hunt and into the verge of hosting a playoff game. Could he garner MVP votes? Because if they didn't have him, they had to rely on Tyler Richards or Eric Penny. I don't think they're even close to the playoffs. So I'd love to hear from you. Who are your award winners? Again, GM of the Year, Coach, Unsung Hero, Rookie, Transition, Offensive, Defensive Goalie, and MVP. Nine awards to give out. Who do they go to? Because I still don't know. Again, there's a couple that are kind of obvious. But the rest of them, that's a head-scratcher. And I'm going to take the next four days before I have to submit my picks to Steven Stamp for our Isle Indoor Awards, which will essentially be my end-of-the-year picks. But I still don't know a lot of those answers because it's been such a good year, and there's been, there's been a ton of breakout performances. And a lot of guys kind of having career years And those are the guys you really have to consider for some of those awards. Especially the ones that have a lot of question marks behind them. So, even though the regular season is about to be done, it's not going to be an easy decision for the writers, the media members, to make their picks for year-end awards. But that's the way it should be. The players should make it hard on us. It'd be great if it was, you know, a runaway for all those awards, but what fun would that be, right? Um, One more thing before we get out of here. Um, As you can tell, I'm feeling horrible. You can probably hear it in my voice and all the sniffling and sneezing that I'm doing. Um, Great story or an interesting story out of Edmonton. They are doing what's called, uh, I think it's called parent liaisons. And what it is is, Because they've had such troubles with adults yelling at minor games, whether at players, um, be it their own or others, um, and at the referees or at coaches or whatever it may be. We all know that parents can get quite out of hand at minor games. I have seen everything in my 37 years of life, whether it being my own father yelling and screaming whether it be at other parents, whether it being seeing fights in the stands, people throwing garbage cans. Um, I saw a dad smash. He had a shot counter for every save that his kid made, and I saw him smash that against the wall one time. Like, I've seen a lot of stuff, and I'm sure you have too. So what the Edmonton Minor Lacrosse Association has done is they will have people in the stands wearing these yellow armbands. They're basically calling them parent liaisons. So if you, as an adult or a bystander or an attendee at the game, get a little out of hand, they'll calmly and quietly walk over, tap you on the shoulder and say, excuse me, sir, ma'am, whatever it may be. Remember, these are just kids. There's no need to yell at them. There's no need to swear at them. They're volunteer referees. You don't need to be, you know, leaning over the glass, berating them. And I like that idea because one of the things that I really didn't like about coaching in minor lacrosse, and it was one of the things that I hated about playing in minor lacrosse, was the verbal abuse that came from outside the arena. And to hear some of the things that people would yell at referees who are, you know, 14 years old, it made no sense. Like, these are just young kids, whether playing or refing or volunteering, whatever it may be. Why would you try and belittle that person? Like a young child, why would you be yelling at them and swearing and cursing and making them feel bad and not wanting to play anymore or not wanting to ref anymore. I remember in Vancouver a few years ago, I think they did like a silent game where parents weren't allowed to yell at all because they wanted to remind them that it was just about the kids, not about them. And what the Emmitson lacrosse community is doing with this new program, I think, is fantastic. And yes, in the pro leagues and in senior, it's different. They're adults, they're men, and it's a pro league. You have every right when you buy a ticket to say and do whatever you want. I highly respect that right. But when it's kids and it's your own kid, somebody else's kid, or it's a young kid who's just reffing and giving up his free time to make sure that your son or daughter is allowed and able to play a game with certified officials and you just completely spew verbal diarrhea at them. I have no time for that. I have been very verbal to some of those people that I've seen in stands that do that. Um, I, have, When I was coaching, I had to have words with my own parents during games. Not my parents, but parents of the kids that I was coaching during games. So, if you are a parent and listening to this podcast, thank you. And you go to one of your kids' games, remember, it is not about you. And the more you yell... And the more you make those kids feel bad, the less they want to play the game, the less they will open up to you, and the less fun they're going to have. And at the end of the day, having fun is what all sports are about, no matter how young or old you are. The reason we play sports is to have fun. So let the kids have fun. Shut your mouth. Cheer all you want. Leave the negativity outside. That'll do it. Um, we're going to get out of here. Don't forget all the games are on NLL TV this weekend. Um, the game of the week is Saskatchewan at Calgary. That's your Twitter game on Saturday night. If you want to get a hold of me, you can drop me an email, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. You can, of course, find me on Twitter at off the crossbar. Uh, would love to hear from you. Again, semi or your year-end awards. I would love to see the differences of opinion on who some of you think should win all of those awards. And get out to a game. Like I said, it's the last regular season game. We have two positions solidified. We have four teams concretely in the postseason. We still got to figure out who's going to finish two and three In both the East and the West, there's still a lot to be played for. So, get out to a game. Take a friend to the game because the more friends you have, the more fun you have. And that's what it's all about. My name is Teddy Jenner. Until next week, enjoy the games and be excellent to each other.